All right, guys, we want to bring up another sponsor of ours. It is Kelsey Picker Realtor with Keller Williams Coastal Area Partners. And if you need to buy or sell property anywhere in the United States, go to kelseypicker.kw.com. And her information will be at the bottom of that page or reach out to us at any of our social media pages or our email. And we will be happy to put you in touch. <laughs> Who's that coming down the track? Who's that coming down the track? It's a mean machine and red and black. It's a mean machine and red and black. What's up, y'all? This is John and Mike back for another episode of the Nothing Finer podcast. And today we are doing another episode of the To Hell With Everyone series, this time about the 2017 trip up to Notre Dame. But before we get started, how was your weekend and what are you drinking? Uh, so weekend was good. Uh, we, uh, did some, some things downtown, hung out, you know, went to crystal beer parlor. It's always a, you know, a great spot to go. Um, Even but, better on uh, Wednesdays when they do half price whiskey. Oh shit. Okay. I haven't done that yet. Uh, yeah. Usually, usually it's like a Friday or Saturday thing when we're able to go, but okay, I'll have to keep, keep that noted for the summer, uh, for sure. But, uh, yeah, besides that, I'm still finishing up that, uh, the Savannah, you know, uh, company, uh, vodka that I had gotten for. For my birthday a couple months ago, so just kind of working on that. I'm not. I don't have Hopefully it mixed not... with like Diet Coke. I don't have it mixed. I was about to say, Coke. you don't have it mixed with Diet Coke this time, do you? No, God, no. That was... <laughs> I can definitely feel it by the end of the uh, recording. <laughs> recording last week, so no, I do not. I do not have it that way. Uh, how about you? Oh man, it was a great weekend. Um, friend of the show and one of our listeners. We've been friends since. I started dating Kelsey um, way back in college. He is Kelsey's best friend's husband, got his PhD in conservation biology on uh, Friday. So oh, yeah. our our resident frog doctor is a real frog doctor now, which is nice. Um, and then Saturday, we took a trip out to Animal Kingdom down in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say, no matter what you think about Disney's politics, they are keeping Harambe alive, and we will forever be grateful. Our sweet prince. Never... He's still alive in Orlando. <laughs> I mean, there's worse play. I guess being alive in Orlando is better than being alive in Cincinnati, so I'll give him that. It's fair. It's fair. Um, I will say about Disney World, as far as Animal Kingdom, that's the only place we went. If you have not been since they opened the Avatar area, Pandora, super cool. Um, but also the Flight of Passage ride, so awesome. Yeah, even if you're not a fan of of uh, of Avatar at all, which I'm not. I mean, I, I I can appreciate it, but that like both of the, the Avatar rides there are dope as hell. Like they definitely you got you get your money's worth by uh, going on both of them. Yeah, no, it was, it was pretty awesome. Um, and it's funny because Kelsey was always like, ah, you know, I like Universal. I don't really have a desire to go to Disney. And then we got there and she's like, well, we got to go to all the parks now. She's like, we need to start planning Dude, our trip. I, we're going. Yeah, you we we're we're working on we're always planning our next trip there. But like Epcot, especially, you know, as adults, 
if you especially if you don't have kids epcot's the, my favorite place to go we usually try to make it a, a time for like just jen and i to go to epcot and hopefully Oh, I got you. Nope. Oh, uh, shoot. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you. Yeah, okay, it's going to go out at some point. I'm sure. No, you're good. Okay. All right. Sorry. Um, <laughs> lost my train of thought. Anyway, Epcot's dope. Um, you know, you can drink around the world. And then the, the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy ride is my favorite ride of like anywhere at any park, like of all time. It's fucking awesome. If you haven't been on it. I, that's what everyone kept telling us all day, literally all day. Everybody was like, man, these rides are awesome, but you've got to go to the guardians of the galaxy ride. Yeah. They play different music, like for each like train ride. So it, and it's, it's different every time you go on it. I mean, that's what I'm told. I've only went on it once. Cause I didn't, you have to do the, the virtual queue or I don't know if you still do that, but uh, it, you know, it was worth the wait, like for sure. Like you had to get on it like right at like the time. There's two different times to try to get in the virtual queue and it like sells out within like seconds. But it is oh, wow. fucking worth it. It is. It's totally worth it. Like setting your alarm and, and, and doing it real quick. I mean, even like a few seconds after it turned to like two or three o'clock, like when the next queue came open, like it would be gone. So you had to like you had to be on it like on good Wi-Fi or good service. But it, it amazing, amazing. And I will say, you know, typically when you go to a theme park, you're you're ready for like French fries that are mostly grease and a dry hamburger. Yeah. But we went to the restaurant in Pandora. Dude, that shit was so good. And I had a green beer that was brewed by Terrapin. Terrapin oh. brews the beer for Disney World, in case you didn't know. Okay. Um no, dude, it was like it was like good food, and I didn't pay an, an absurd amount for it. And I was like, Everything I've ever thought about this place was a lie. Dude, Disney's food, like for the most part, is really, really good. That now, um, and we can probably have uh, Amanda and Bobby don't talk about this more because they have a, their own uh, Disney podcast. Um, you know, if you have any questions, you can always ask them. But like, um, they're going back to having if you stay on property there. I think they're going back to having um, a food package included with that. Like, depending on when you go, like the food can be free, where you can get like two meals and a snack like included yeah. with the hotel stay. So they got rid of that during COVID. I think they're bringing it back um, in January, I think. So that's how we usually used to do it to make it, you know, somewhat affordable. But the food there is so great. So great. I have I been can't. told by someone that's been recently that with the increase of price with the food package, it's actually more expensive than just buying your food outright unless you get a stupid amount mm -hmm. of food. Yeah, that's what that, that was one thing that Jen was saying too when she was looking into it. So hopefully, you know, maybe maybe they'll change that at some point. But yeah, hopefully that nah, they probably won't. Probably not. <laughs> They're trying to price everybody out. Yeah, probably not. But but it was it was super awesome. Um, we'll definitely be back. And then uh yeah, no, it was just it was a good weekend. Uh hung out with Connor on Friday morning. Connor from Saturday down south. He's been on the show before early in the season last year. Um, who is about to be in a dad any day now. So that's super exciting. Um Hell yeah. but we'll we'll quit rambling about our weekend here and get right back into the game. Um so we have set this up a little bit differently this time. 
because looking back at the notes from the last couple we did, it was fairly chaotic and hard to follow. And I feel like I just rambled and rambled and rambled. So we've restructured things a little bit. Um, Before we get into the game, though, I did put a little bit of a new segment in here that hopefully most of y'all get the reference, but it's called Take It Back Now, Y'all. And this is to get everybody in the right headspace, remind you about the world around the game in 2017. Um, The songs topping the Billboard charts were Despacito and Pop, and Body Like a Back Road was topping the country charts. It was the biggest movie in America. And um, Hurricane Irma had just gone through the eastern parts of Florida and uh, in some of the southeast. So for me specifically, a large part of the Georgia National Guard actually got called in this weekend to be on standby if Georgia got hit pretty hard. So this game I watched, I would say, at least a third of it on my phone. Um, and then the rest of it at Buffalo Wild Wings. So it was a nerve-wracking experience on 2017 spotty 4G in Noonan, Georgia, trying to uh, trying to watch this game. I'll, I'll, I'll say my experience with Irma because we were living in uh, Ackworth at the time. Uh, we got you know a little bit of rain. Um, our school district had called out for two days, like in preparation for it. So like it was. It was great. I I had the best time. <laughs> Much different experience than you had with it. I would I highly recommend being in Atlanta and having hurricane days. And highly recommend not being in the Georgia National Guard. That is mostly a joke. <laughs> mostly, mostly a joke. <laughs> mostly. Um. So to get into the Georgia side of things, Georgia had come off of a. Looking back at it, it's. It's easy to say that it was disappointing, but it's also easy to say that it wasn't a disappointing season in 2017. Um, they ended up going seven and six, beating TCU in the Liberty Bowl that season. Um, but it was also a resetting of the cult of the program's culture. The problem is the games, the games in specific that were lost, obviously Vanderbilt, Georgia Tech, um, Florida. I mean, they even lost to Tennessee in heartbreaking fashion. So it's easy to say that it was disappointing. um, But with everything that's changed since then, it's kind of easy to say that that was a reset year. Yeah, 2016 was a tough year. Uh, Definitely a lot of ups and downs. So starting with that UNC game was was nice to see Nick Chubb come back from his uh, from his injury and have a big game there. Uh, But the Tennessee game, like you talked about, was one of the most heartbreaking games of all the heartbreaking games in, in Georgia history. Not, not that there was, you know, a ton of expectations. I think Georgia was still ranked at that, that point, but losing on, uh, you know, Jacob Eason, like coming through in the clutch with the, you know, that, that last play that he had and then losing on that hail Mary and having Bush Jones, you know, crying at midfield was, was a tough look. I was, I was at a, a fair, like a, like a, like what, like what, like looking at it on the, like the ESPN app and I'm going, we won, we won. I was I was feeling good. I come back at it, and then it said we fucking lost on on a hail mary, and I was just speechless. Like I couldn't talk for the rest of the day. Um, and then, but if yeah. there's anything good to come out of 
losing Tennessee in 2016, they kept Butch Jones around longer. Mm-hmm. Just for that beat down in 2017. <laughs> that was fucking awesome. That the the tennis the Florida beat down and the Tennessee beat down to 2017 were great. Um, all time. But yes. one other thing I'll say about uh one other thing I'll say about 2016. Um you do remember the the bowl game that we played that year, the Liberty Bowl, our opponent, right? Yeah, no, it was TCU. Yeah, it was a, a foreshadowing. Now, um, I think Julian Rochester had a good game. Um, in oh, I think it wasn't him. I think it was him. If, he was there forever, but or was it Trenton Thompson? T- Trenton Thompson. That's who it is. I I get the two. They're interchangeable <laughs> for the most part. Yeah, because Trenton yeah, Thompson but... was like a night sky, mostly dark, but the bright spots were so damn bright. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had himself a game in there and beat those horny horny toads, horny lizards, um, and really you know help set the tone for uh, you know getting us excited again for 2017 and what would uh, be really the you know welcome to like the 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 national scene, you know the. Um, in that, you know, this year that we're going to be talking about now. Yeah, so this game in specific, the Notre Dame game, um, it was in week two, which isn't necessarily abnormal for big out-of-conference games he played early in the season. For example, this season we were supposed to play Oklahoma in week two. Um, But this was arguably Georgia's biggest non-postseason out-of-conference game in Kirby's tenure at Georgia until – I mean, we're talking Clemson was the next Mm -hmm. big out-of-conference game. And so you could argue that North Carolina the year before was, but North Carolina isn't historically good in the same way that Notre Dame is. Um, And this game was actually a home-and-home series instead of being played in Atlanta at a neutral site. So I would say this was... Kirby's biggest out of conference regular season game easily until uh 2021 Clemson. Oh, for sure. Well, in that 2019 game against Notre Dame, uh, we all remember the, you know, the build up to that, you know, with the the new LED lights and just like Notre Dame coming south was was a big deal as well, but as far as like a non-Notre Dame team, definitely Clemson was that next that next one that took even a few years from there. Yeah. No that I, I, for whatever reason, forget about that 2019 Notre Dame game quite a bit. A lot of it is probably because we were in LaGrange that day, got up at like six in the morning, left LaGrange to drive to Athens for the game. Took us three hours to get out of the intramural fields parking lot to then drive back to LaGrange after the game and get up at 6 a.m. again. So that was, uh, that was tough. That was, that yeah, was my, real tough. My old, uh, my old manager at Chili's, like family friend, uh, he, he's a big Notre Dame fan. He like, for a while we were trying to come up with a way for him to come down because we were, uh, we were living in Ackworth at the time. So it wasn't you no know, too, too bad of a, a drive there, but we were trying to come up with a way to be able to go to that game. Even if we weren't going to go to the game, I should say, we were going to try to like, you know, hang out in Athens. I told him, you know, there's gonna be ninety, you know, ninety three, ninety four thousand people in the stadium because they added seats. But there's gonna be a hundred thousand people outside of it as well. So yes. I'm like, as much as I want to go to that game and and just be part of that atmosphere, I'm like, it, 
it is too difficult to get out of there and then get back to like north of Atlanta from there. So definitely missed the opportunity, but that would I'm sure you know having close to almost two hundred thousand people in a college town would be a fucking nightmare. Yeah, no, I will say that living just outside of Athens at the time in 2019, it you started seeing Notre Dame plastered vehicles showing up in Athens on Monday of that week. Mm-hmm. And it and was just even, every day. Every and it's not day, even that they're just from Yeah, it's not even that they're just from, you know, you know, Chicago or, you know, upper Midwest and things like that. Like like we'll talk about in um our interview with uh Coach Shepherd. I mean, Notre Dame's a national brand. Like Irish Catholics are all over the place, especially, you know, in you know the area that we live now. And so they, you know, they come from everywhere. So it makes sense that they were there that early and, you know, making themselves visible. Yeah. Um, so I do want to pause for a second because I forgot to talk about what I was drinking tonight. Um, and yeah. as the drunk, obnoxious Georgia fans, I, you know, feel like it's our responsibility at this point to bring it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am drinking a 2021 Maker's Mark limited release. They did two different ones this year. It was This is the FAE-01. To read the description here, a fruit forward expression with notes of tobacco and wood at 110.6 proof. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's phenomenal. I forgot that I had this bottle because it was in the back corner of the bar. But I was like, what's that red thing over there? It's real dusty. And in 2021, uh, good year. It was a good year. year. It was a great year. No, right after we sold our house in 2021, I think I spent like $600 on a bunch of different whiskeys, and this was part of it. Oh, yeah. There you go. So, no, it's good. I just I had no idea I had this much left, or I'd have been drinking it more. <laughs> there you go. I need to get some Maker's Mark for sure. Oh, if you're going to get some, either get the, either get the um, whatever their version of barrel proof is, they might call it something different. Um or the Makers 46. They're both a lot better than the original. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely t- noted. <clears throat> so getting back into everything surrounding this game, I'm sure a lot of us know this, but just in case you forgot, in week one, Jacob Eason got injured against giant killer App State, bringing in true yeah. freshman Jake from to lead the program. And not only was this Jake's first start, it was his first start at Notre Dame, which mm-hmm. the history of the program in itself going to South Bend had to be nerve wracking. But one thing I, that I feel like a lot of people forget about Jake from, he was a huge get for Kirby in the program at the time in this 2016 recruiting cycle. Was it? Yeah. He uh, was a, he was an Alabama recruit at one point, wasn't he? Yes, he was a high four-star quarterback committed to Alabama who flipped once he got the offer from Georgia. Um, And in week one, Jake played pretty well, going 10 to 15 for 143 yards and a touchdown and right at about a half of football. Um, But as we all know, the offensive load of week one was put on the backs of the greatest running back duo in SEC history, being Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb. 
who had a combined three touchdowns on the day facing App State. Excuse me. Um, So this Notre Dame game was a night game on NBC because NBC plays all Notre Dame home games, in case you weren't aware of that. Um, And they said it during the broadcast, and it was reported a few times outside of that. The stadium was 50% or more red and black. Mm. And this was only the second time these two teams had met in their both, what, at that time it was Georgia had 120-year history, mm-hmm. Notre Dame longer than that, and they had only played twice, or this was the second time? Yeah, I think of 148 years of college football up to that point, like or including that season, only the second time. And really, in Georgia, not going north of the Mason-Dixon very often. Like I think that was another thing that was, that was talked about quite a bit going into that game, because I think even, again, I always bring stuff back to, like, you know, Michigan football as well. Like, Georgia hadn't um like play like a big 10 team that far north i think since like 1965 or something along those lines it had been a while and georgia would have played ohio state um mm-hmm. but ohio state likes to uh cancel the games and then say that georgia was scared so that's that's good you know urban meyer probably had a lot to do with that i'm sure probably probably yeah no absolutely um so but put his finger I, on it even though this game was six years ago, both Kirby Smart and Brian Kelly look about 20 years younger when you watch this game back. And just for your reference, um, we watched the, if you just go on YouTube, look up 2017 Georgia at Notre Dame. There is someone that put the game on there and it is a one hour edit. So all the BS is taken out, which is nice. Um, and the account is OHFACC. Um, so shout out to you for putting that on there by the name of your account. I would assume it was more for the Notre Dame fans, but we still appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And the NBC, uh, they had the extended, uh, extended highlights that NBC put out was nice too. Like the quality is, is good. It's not like some of the other games that we've tried to watch. Um, even <laughs> 10 years ago that looked like super grainy and not not great. So both qualities are really nice. So going into this game, if you can remember it, how did you feel leading up to kickoff? So I think like a, a lot of Georgia fans, I was I was optimistic or cautiously optimistic because you know, as you know, we've talked about before that Mark Richt, uh, PTSD that we had in like these big, big game situations were hopeful, but you know, in especially in situations that this team hasn't been in before, um, you're it, ma- it makes you very nervous that you're going to shit the bed on a national stage, which has happened beforehand. Um, you know, of course, it's different with Kirby, but again, coming off of a, a, a seven five regular season, and then you know, eventually six eight, regular season. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Barely up, made a bowl game. I thought they finished with eight wins. Was it seven? Am I stupid? Let's find out live. Keep going. I think I'm pretty sure they finished eight and five because I was like, you know, eight wins is kind of what I expected, you know, out of that first year, just being a transition change or a, a regime change, as you say. But, um, you know, I was. No, yeah, they were got, eight and five. You are correct. And I am stupid. It's, it's, it's the first time for everything. <laughs> um but um yeah i just it, being cautiously optimistic was was my thing i you know i, I wanted to 
you know, I believed, but I wasn't going to be shocked. I was prepared to be let down, um, especially in that scene. Because again, again, like I said, going back to, you know, Michigan, because I always bring up Michigan because um, that's the team I grew up with. Um, Michigan shit the bed a lot in South Bend as well and during their, you know, you know, off and on rivalry with Notre Dame. So I, I seen what can happen there. Crazy shit happens in South Bend. Not, not as crazy as like, you no know, Jordan Hare or anything like that. But um, again, cautiously optimistic uh, would be the way I felt going into it. Yeah, no, same, same with me. I would say I, if anything that I felt a little bit better than cautiously optimistic would just be because Notre Dame did come off of a disappointing season in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, they went through multiple quarterbacks in that 2016 season, and we're actually going to get to uh, to one, well, both of the guys here in just a minute. But no, it was um, it was pretty wild that Notre Dame. That was like Brian Kelly's one losing season at Notre Dame was that 2016 year. So I had felt pretty good about it, but also, you know, I like to call it Mark Richt anxiety syndrome, mm-hmm. where you know, every logical reason says that you should win this game, mm-hmm. but you don't feel good about it. So no, no, I, I, I agree with you there, but I think what we're going to do is cut to our conversation with uh, coach Sandy. And yep. once we get back from that, we will get into talking about the game itself. All right. So we're going to welcome in a special guest here. Uh, Savannah legend, one of my favorite favorite colleagues of all time, and a damn good dog, Coach Sandy Shepard. Coach, how's it going? Doing great. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. It's always a good night when we, you know, get to talk about the dogs. So you know, can't complain. Especially you know, since school is about to be out. Yeah. <laughs> get into that last last little stretch here. So you know, I know we're both looking forward to it. Absolutely. So, um, just kind of wanted to get into it, uh, real quick with. Uh, how difficult was it to get to South Bend? I've never been before, uh, you know, living up there. I've, you know, I've known some people to go to South Bend for for some games, but just for, you know, coming from, you know, the Savannah area, how how much of a challenge was it to actually get to South Bend? It was a challenge. Um, a lot of folks flew up, flew into Chicago because the Braves were playing on a Friday night. We played mm-hmm. Saturday and then the Falcons played back in Chicago again on Sunday. So it was, you know, a lot of people did the, hit the trifecta. Oh, yeah. We didn't, we didn't go that route. We're dog fans primarily, although I pull for the Atlanta teams, obviously, but um, but the function was to get to Notre Dame and enjoy that game, and I didn't want to ruin that by doing something else and getting off track. So we drove it. Ooh. I know. Sounds awful, but it uh, we're pretty much road warriors. Um, years ago, we were going to Mississippi – and had a flight to Memphis and everything was cool. And we're sitting there about an hour before we're getting ready to get on the flight. Um, some guy hops the, the turnstile in Hartsville and they shut the airport down and we couldn't get there. So <laughs> we've gotten to where we'd rather drive and make it than be at the you know, whim of the airline. So anyway, we yeah. how long the drive was that? It was long. It was, <laughs> I think it was like, I think it was like 12 to 14 hours, somewhere in that range, um, which sounds like brutal drive. But for us, that's that's we, we make one or two of those trips every year. Missouri's a long way. You know, Arkansas is a long way. We've driven out there before, too. So 
I guess that doesn't seem as bad as I thought it would have been uh, 12 hours. But, you know, I guess it makes about it makes sense for the most part, I guess. I can um, tell you that's a shorter drive than out to Austin. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot shorter. Yeah, we'll be making, yeah I, know I took you, that drive did. last month. Did you? How yeah, long did. that uh, It was supposed to be right at 18, but with stops and traffic, it took about 20. Good Lord. Yeah, Coach, you're going to be doing that pretty soon. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to going to some of those places. Mm-hmm. A&M's the only one I hadn't been to in the SEC. So we've been everywhere else. Which one was it? Texas A&M. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I would think when they when the new schedule comes out, that's going to be a priority for them is to get Georgia in uh, in College Station since that's always a talking point every every year when the schedule comes out, how, how we haven't been to College Station since they joined the league. I wouldn't what? be surprised if that's first year. Mm-hmm. Like first, first row, so. I could be shocked. Yeah, for sure. I, I hope, hope so. so. I'm ready to go. I'd love to see it. Heard mm-hmm. great things about it. The fans are supposed to be terrific out there. So, yeah, they were great when they came in uh in 2019. From just my were, you know, short experience with they them, they really were. They were class act and, mm-hmm. and nice folks. So, yeah. that was pretty cool. Oh yeah. So, um. So what was the the general vibe that you felt uh, amongst, you know, the fellow Georgia fans that were there? Because, you know, of course there was, you know, on TV, it looked like it was, you know, 60, 70 percent, you know, red and black there. But what was what was the kind of the vibe that you felt um, amongst your uh, the fellow dog fans uh, there prior to the game starting? We weren't cocky um, at all. We were kind of, you know, it's an impressive place. And of course, the history there is fantastic. And all of those things were kind of cool. So mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of obnoxious Georgia nonsense going on. It was pretty, pretty cool from that standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. It was amazing because there were so many Georgia people there. Um, and I, w- I would agree with you, 60 to 70% of the stadium was Georgia fans, no doubt. We had way more fans. Um, and I think their fans were a little disappointed in their own fans. But uh, as we walked through the campus and, and looked around and toured it, um, we heard more than once, golly, I've never seen anything like this. How many people did they bring? <laughs> so they, they were surprised um, at, at the number of Georgia fans. And, of course, they've had all sorts of great, you know, great teams come in to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really cool listening to their fans talk about our fans and, and how, um, how many showed up. So that was a cool feature. Yeah, yeah that 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 that'll be a thing that'll be interesting to see when uh when uh, Alabama and Notre Dame start their home and homes. I know that's coming up pretty soon uh, to see how they you know what how uh, Notre Dame you know learns from you know that experience in 2017 to you know if you see you see any anybody with addresses or you know you know handles from uh you know that sound vaguely southern to keep away from that. I think they'll be a little more careful who they sell their tickets to. Um, mm-hmm. But Georgia fans were willing to pay whatever it took to mm-hmm. get up there. And, um, you know, fortunately, we got some tickets, but it, we'd have paid whatever we needed to pay to go to that one. That's just one you got to go see. It was yeah. cool. Oh, yeah. That, that was going to be one of my other questions was, like, how how difficult was it to to get tickets? I know you're a season ticket holder and, you know, a big, big part of the program. But how how big of a challenge was that to get, um, you know, get your hands on those tickets? Well, it's become harder and harder, and it doesn't matter that I've been doing it for um, a lot of years. I'm just going to leave it at that, longer yeah. than I'm going to admit. 
But what's happening is some of the new guys come in and they throw tons of money and they go past you on the on the charts. Um, so their priority is ahead of ours. So we, mm-hmm. we're continually going backwards, even though we've been there for 30 something, 40 years now. Shoot. Yeah, I haven't I haven't been a season ticket holder, but since 2020. But I can tell you, we request tickets, extra tickets to every home game every year. And last year we didn't get like we didn't even get the FCS home game extra tickets because there's so many people coming in donating tens of thousands of dollars. The minimum donation to get new tickets last year was triple what it was in 2020 when we got our tickets. First year, 2017, I think they had to have, uh, it was $10,000 was the minimum to um, to get tickets, and that's changed since then. But anyway, I think when everybody saw what Kirby was getting ready to bring to the table, mm-hmm. they were both kind of going, okay, this might be fun. And it is. Oh, yeah, yes. for sure. Yes, yeah, you is. can't argue that. <laughs> um, All right, so how would you how would you compare the pregame or tailgate scene uh, in South Bend to Georgia or even like the rest of the SEC you know venues that you've been to? It was pretty good. Um, we had a big time, and the, and the fans were nice as they could be. Um, there wasn't any problem with that. It was not um, as grandiose as you see in the South, mm-hmm. the barbecues and all the rest. Um, but it it's still, you know, they had pretty good spread, and they were very welcoming and glad to have us there. That was probably one of the most unique things that uh, that we saw the whole week. The whole weekend, they, um, you know, from my perspective, coming up there, growing up in Savannah and knowing all the Irish Catholic friends I've got, um, they're pretty much in the Notre Dame um, mode. They all love Notre Dame and, and can be fairly obnoxious. These guys could not have been nicer. Mm-hmm. So my expectation was I was braced to deal with, you know, the ragging we get down here in Savannah yeah. from all my buddies. And it just wasn't like that at all. They really spent time with us, um, made a special point, particularly after the game, I think, to um, to come speak to us and ask us if we had a good time. And we're glad to have you. And we're, we're glad you, you know, had a good experience. And we just wanted to check on y'all. And, you know, you see somebody coming to you in the parking lot in the south after a close win, you're going, I don't think this might be – this might not be very good, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and these people were coming up and going, patting you on the back, going, "Hey, what a great game!" And we're going, "Yeah, that was that could have gone either way." And of course, we were nice to them. Mm-hmm. That that that's funny because um, I was that was going to be another question I was going to have because as a Michigan fan, you know, when I when I grew up up there, um, I hadn't heard too many negative things about you know being a visiting fan going to South Bend. So I'm I'm happy to hear that you know that's that's still going on. And even when I went to Vegas. Um, you know, like back in what was it, uh, September, October, or whatever, you know, whatever time I went when uh, Notre Dame was playing against BYU in Vegas. You know, I, I was expecting the worst out of Notre Dame fans because a lot of them were staying at the hotel that we were at. And like you said, they, they could not have been nicer. Like they were, they were fun to, you know, party with and, and talk with. And they were, you know, they were great, like much better than the, the Notre Dame fans that I, that I uh, that I grew up around in the Detroit area, so that was that was awesome to see. That that made me dislike uh, the Irish just a, a little bit less. Well, that's the way I felt too. Because going into it, I had these preconceived ideas, and I 
don't like their history because they've won championships. I don't think they deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've never really pulled for Notre Dame. Um, I always pull for the teams in the South because that's home. Oh, yeah. but, um, so I, I really expected and was prepared to deal with a bunch of jerks. And mm-hmm. they were absolutely delightful people. Matter of fact, they were, that's probably the nicest place I've been. They were that oh. nice to it. Missouri's that, that way too, but um, mm-hmm. but of course Missouri hadn't been with us long enough to appreciate some of the toughness in the SEC, I guess. But uh, anyway, mm-hmm. they were yeah, not. I mean, they were good. Yeah, I had that experience in 2019 when we were at that game. It was before we had season tickets, but we were in a section that was primarily Notre Dame fans. And they were all just as nice as could be. You know, we were talking a little trash back and forth to each other during the game. But afterwards, it was like, you know, shake hands. Hope you guys have a nice drive home. Be safe. Like, that was the only time I've sat close to an opposing fan and had a good experience at a game. Because <laughs> that just doesn't happen with SEC opponents. Especially like Tennessee. <laughs> really done in most of the stadiums. I'd say more than half the stadiums I've been to at the SEC, I've had stuff thrown at me from somebody on the other side. So I'm used to I'm used to hostile fans. It just that just didn't it just didn't materialize there. They were all so pleasant. Mm-hmm. That was going to be uh, another question I was going to ask you too. Was you know I know you've been to a ton of venues, um, especially the last few years. You know, Peach Bowls and national championships and all that. But where does uh, where does Notre Dame Stadium rank um, in terms of, like your favorite stadiums that you've that you've, that you've visited um, you know in all over all these years? I think because of the way the fans treat you, I would go back there in a heartbeat. That's one of the nicest venues. The and of course the history and everything that goes along with it, um, with touchdown Jesus back behind the stadium and all. I mean, all that stuff is really cool. Mm-hmm. So it it was really a special special trip. And um, I sure felt better about the Irish after I left uh, than before I got there. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you get a chance to walk around campus and kind of get the, you know, the not necessarily like a tour, but kind of understanding like the history and all, you know, hitting all the, you know, the, the prime spots there. Like, you know, like you said, like Touchdown Jesus and, and some other places around there. Beautiful chapel and mm-hmm. um, library, all sorts of things that we went and saw and uh, once again, it was it was more about the people though, because everybody was at that point. They really didn't know what to make of us. They were kind yeah. of looking at us, going, "These guys for real? I mean, really? <laughs> they came all this way for this game? Really? Mm-hmm. Maybe they thought we were going to lose. I don't know, but they it, it, they were surprised we had so many fans there. Well, it makes sense because, like, you know, going and we're going to talk about this later. Like going into that game, I mean, you know, Georgia was eight and four. Could could have easily been, you know, six and six. No seven and five, um, well they got well no they're eight and five I'm sorry, but you know they could have easily you know could have overlooked them, um especially you know with Jacob Eason going out you know in that in that first game you know five star all world all all world talent, um you know you can't blame them for being a little bit you know comp you know I don't say I don't want to say overconfident but being confident going into that game especially with you know you know, coming off of the Mark Richt era and, you know, kind of coming up short in these big games. Um, you, you got Frog playing his first game, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and very much looking like a freshman in that game as well. Absolutely. Well, they, they were very careful with him. Mm-hmm. I thought they did a great job as a staff uh, managing the game. 
such a way that he could have some success. Mm -hmm. yep. um, uh, John, do you have any, uh, anything, any other questions? I don't think so. No, I feel, I feel like we got, we got a good firsthand account of the experience at, uh, at Notre Dame. Highly recommend it. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's it's definitely on the bucket good. list. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. If you're a college football fan, that's definitely, you know, it has to be on your bucket list to go to. That's pretty cool. I will, I will say with, um, you know, thinking of like Midwest fans and all that, obviously Notre Dame kind of is, is a, is a national brand. Um, but I keep going back to, I think the, the whole vibe of like these big Midwestern like schools, like everyone always thinks like the worst, especially with Ohio state. And for good reason, cause you know, they, Ohio state does have a, have a, uh, a uh, history uh, or a record of at least like, you know, throwing, you know, bags of urine and, and just being this awful <laughs> to opposing fan bases, especially Michigan, but just in, in others as well. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know. And, you know, and people in the area were, were great to uh, great to us. We've seen the Ohio state fans and um, mm -hmm. they were, they were okay. They didn't have much to say after the last time I saw them. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. How did, how, how, I know this doesn't have to do with Notre Dame, but how were they prior to, prior to the Peach Bowl? They were real cocky, but you know, Michigan was just as cocky the year before. They mm -hmm. were, as we walked into the stadium, there were several people going, yeah, we'll have these guys by three touchdowns. And, Oh, wow. I mean, just I'm sitting there going, y'all hadn't really watched us play, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I someone scoring three touchdowns on Georgia. What? I'm sorry. Well, we were supposed to, yeah, they were saying they were going to be up three touchdowns. And I'm, I'm going, you know, we moved the ball pretty good, too. So I, mm -hmm. boy, I was just, they were, they were in another world. But they, <laughs> those fans were nice. They, the Michigan fans were nice. Um, I just think they kind of had in their mind that, you know, they were Michigan and they were going to beat Georgia. And yeah. That, Ohio State it's... felt that way too, but Ohio State doesn't have the right to feel that way. Ohio State's won, what, one SEC game in um, 50 years or something? I, I mean, something yeah, like I was going to say, I think, I think they have a losing record against like like nine of, <laughs> nine of the 14 SEC teams or something like that. They do, yes. and it goes all the way back to, you know, the 30s, they, they lost to – I mean, they beat up on Vanderbilt in the 30s, I think, so they got a few wins back then. But. <laughs> Stat padding. So, yeah. <laughs> I think they're like 1-16. and 16. They would be 2-16, and 16, but they had to give one away that um, when they beat Arkansas. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. They, they had a miserable run with the SEC, so it seemed like they yeah. learned a lesson. But, yeah. Love to see it. <laughs> couldn't happen to a nicer bunch. No, for absolutely <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah i think we're gonna right. go ahead and wrap that up yeah all yeah right, no i just wanted to say thank you again for your time and uh we will uh i'll have mike get in touch later closer to the season and uh we'll talk about some practice stuff that's all right absolutely Great yeah coach has some good stuff that, that we've talked about at uh the re you know recess fields about you know some things that he saw i don't don't want to put it out there quite yet but um a lot of good insight for sure. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We're going to be pretty loaded again. I'll just give you that. Yeah. yeah specifics later. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. A little tease. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. That was fun. Yes. Right. Thank you. Have a good night. I appreciate yeah, it. Coach. See you tomorrow. Yeah, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
right. So now we're going to talk about the game itself here. Um, and what we've done differently this time, so we're not all over the place and super confusing, is we've kind of broken it down into some first half thoughts, some player stuff, and then some second half thoughts down towards the end. Um, and, you know, that's just kind of clean it up, have more of a conversation with it um, than just kind of go play by play and have me get super obsessive over it like I tend to do watching football. So for the first half thoughts, um, Kirby said before the game that he expected Jake to play within the system. And the problem is it's kind of what he did for his entire career. And I'm not necessarily saying that was a problem with Jake. I think that was kind of the offensive system at the time, really until his last game in 2019, um, getting throat punched by LSU. I think that's really what put, put uh, Kirby into, you know, offensive powerhouse mode. But specifically, I mean, that 2019 season was just so yeah. awful mm-hmm. under James Coley. And it was, it was tough. But, you know, I hate to say it. I feel like if Jake Fromm would have played under Todd Munkin, the, uh, he may have won a Heisman or at least been to New York because yeah. what he was able to do when given freedom within the offense towards the end of his career was nuts. Mm-hmm. He that was that that was the, I think one of the biggest what ifs of uh, Kirby's tenure is you know if Jake Fromm came back in 2020, uh, it was shocking that he that he he left because you know he didn't have a great season in 2019. I think that felt like it was his worst year, and for him to to leave at that point felt like it was a, a bad decision. And ultimately, you know, like you said, he could have you know maybe won some awards or at least been in the conversation for it and, and helped his draft stock. He was a day three pick, and I think. I don't think he's on a roster right now, or if he is, it's like a practice squad or like third string guy at this point. I know he does like kind of interviews with other, you know, podcasts and things like that. But he uh, he had that one start with the Giants that was just a fucking nightmare for him. Uh, yeah, two years ago, or last year, I can't remember. I think it was two years ago. But I think it was two years ago. Yeah, but what what could have been he that 2020 year going into it? Again, not to get like super sidetracked, but I felt like that. Of of you know up to that point like that was the best team that Georgia was going to have uh, for a bit like I you know obviously twenty one twenty two ended up happening but I thought like man if it doesn't happen in twenty twenty like prior to COVID happening I'm like I don't know when the fuck it's going to happen because that team that defense was stacked like it just everything was lined up perfectly and then Jake Fromm left I th- you know this is pure speculation but I really think the reason he left was James Coley. Yeah, and mobster ass looking haircut. And you know, there was there was really a lack of wide receiver talent in that 2019 class, with mm-hmm. the exception of Lawrence Cager, who is out of eligibility, Dominic mm-hmm. Blaylock, who couldn't play that next season because he tore his ACL. And I mean, you had George Pickens, who is who was a young guy, but I don't really think Jake Fromm wanted to, in his last year, deal with a brand-new offensive coordinator, bringing in new skill talent. They lost three guys on that offensive line. Mm-hmm. I just I just don't think he wanted to deal with it, and I can't really blame him. No. But with that said, 
I still wish he was a quarterback in 2020. Mm-hmm. Could have made things more interesting. I think that would have gave us a better shot against uh against <laughs> So before the game, uh, Doug Flutie, who is on the was on the NBC broadcast team. I'm not sure if he still is. Um, I don't think so. Said that. I d- I didn't think so either. Um, said that Georgia's key to victory was going to be keeping Brandon Wimbush in the pocket and force him to throw the ball to win. And, you know, spoiler, I'm sure none of you guys have seen this game yet. (laughs) That, I mean, that's how Georgia won this game was, you know, keeping him in the pocket and just rushing the hell out of him and not giving him an opportunity. Um, and then you actually put this in here. I didn't even think about it. It is crazy that this was barely a top 25 matchup. Georgia was number 15. Notre Dame was number 24. Um, And, you know, we'll get to it in here in a little bit, but, you know, Georgia's defense was suspect coming into that 2017 season Mm -hmm. because, I mean, they they let a lot of teams put points on the board in 2016. And, I mean, not to disparage anybody, but they were running it back with – undersized defensive backs, a walk-on safety, no real star defender. So we've talked about a lot on this show. Star defender, he's got covers slot receivers, running backs out of the backfield, tight ends. Do you know who took the majority of uh, snaps at slot or at star in the 2017 season? Mm. Was it uh, Deion? It was Lorenzo Carter. Oh, you know what? They said that in the broadcast, uh, too, that he or one of the games that if in a pinch, he could play corner. So that makes sense. Lorenzo Carter played star defender most of the 2017 season. That's how thin Georgia was at defensive back at that time. Hmm. So. Like, it's it's hard to think about now when. Your backups are five star in the third string or four and five stars. Mm-hmm. But they've come a really long way in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Putting it lightly, uh, yeah. So the first play that Notre Dame ran was a flea flicker. And the first play of the game on offense being a flea flicker sounds familiar to you. Georgia used that trick later in the season against Mississippi State where they scored a touchdown on the play versus an incomplete pass like Notre Dame had. I just thought that was interesting to look back at because I I don't even remember the flea flicker, probably because it was an incomplete pass. Yeah. But Georgia used that exact same play a few weeks later, and I think I I think that's really cool because that's probably where Kirby got the idea from or Jim Chaney. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's an interesting thing to uh, – look back on with how with how things shaped up down the stretch for Georgia. And that MSU game was huge too. Um going into oh, that absolutely. Was a 25 matchup uh, and another Dan Mullen fucking beat down. How about that? <laughs> Dan Mullen 1 and 6 against Georgia, I believe. That sounds right. Cuz he had the one the one win in 2020, right? Yes, that is the only time Dan Mullen ever beat Georgia was hmm. 2020. Um, so something else that I thought was pretty interesting, the entire Georgia defense looks tiny and slow in Mm -hmm. this game. 
when you're used to the 2020 or 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022 defenses, this team looks tiny. And yeah. like they're moving at three quarter speed. That was that was one of the things that Kirby had mentioned when like his introductory press conference was that like he harped on it over and over again when he got hired was that the team needed to get bigger like that. He that's something that he, you know, kept hammering that we need to get bigger guys in here were too small. So it was evident. That, that was, you know, something that needed to be worked. Yeah, and you you definitely see it now because Georgia just got a, a six foot seven, two hundred and sixty pound tight end drafted. So yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, and we all know it now, but I feel like in the beginning of twenty seventeen, Roquan Smith wasn't necessarily a household name, mm. but he made his presence felt early and often, especially very early in the game. I believe it was the first drive. Covering Josh Adams, who is Notre Dame's running back, out of the backfield, perfectly, perfect coverage from an inside linebacker on a faster running back. He's like, oh, I can't catch up with you. I'm just going to make sure the pass doesn't get completed. The football IQ on him was insane and still is. I mean, he got that massive contract with the Ravens last season. Mm-hmm. So, did you remember the Elijah Holyfield ninety yard ninety yard kickoff return, um, or or was I the only person that forgot about it? No, I, I it, like holy shit! Like, how did I not remember this? But the reason why is because it got called back. Yeah, and I am like, I can't believe that, and that made me. We'll, we'll get into we'll get into it later. I'll, I'll I'll hold it for now. But yeah, that was what was it? Yeah, ninety yards. Good lord. Yeah, that was insane. If if you don't watch the entire game, go to OHF ACC, watch the first kickoff that Georgia gets, and ask yourself how you could have forgotten about that. Because I don't know how I did. Yeah, it was only like three minutes into the game, too. So, yeah, it's early, early on. And then the last thing we're going to say before we start getting to player-specific stuff, the 2017 special teams was an elite unit. Mm-hmm. Big returns all the time, hitting the hot hell rod. out of people. Hot rod. It was, yeah. And then hot rod. I mean, most, I think it was 90 plus percent of kicks made it into the end zone or out of it. Mm-hmm. He missed what, only four field goals on the season at that point. I mean, he was on fire. So moving into the player-specific stuff, we're going to get started with Jake Fromm. We've already talked about him a little bit, um, but just some some interesting notes that we saw when uh, when we were watching this game. It was before the National Anthem when they mentioned Jake Fromm playing in the Little League World Series. Um, I just think that's a little ridiculous. Um, and then... You've got a note here about about something, so I'll let you yeah. take this. It's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what your your thoughts are on this. I again, being a Lions fan, this shit got hammered home a lot. But what's a better pregame nugget? You know, especially they you know they say it before every fucking game. But like a better pregame nugget from playing in the Little Week World Series or uh, the fact that Matt Stafford and Clayton Kershaw were high school teammates. What's a better one? 
I'm going to say Stafford and Kershaw. And I say that because now they play for professional teams who have both won titles in the last few years in the same city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was it? Uh, Highland Park, Texas. I mean, city of champions, or at least produces them for LA. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. It would be hilarious if none of their high school teams ever won a title, but they have guys with World Series rings and Super Bowl rings. And <laughs> <laughs> they're like, hey, you may not do shit when you're here, but in 15 years, big watch things. Out. Yeah. <laughs> how how many times did they mention from in Little League World Series in that App State game? Do you remember? They I'm sure they did. Yeah. I'm sure they did. I, I, the back, the true freshman backup comes in. Mm-hmm. What what is the one thing that your producer probably has a note about? He won the Little League World Series. Mm-hmm. Gotta be. And I didn't even realize at that point that he did the QB one series come out prior to him playing that year. That's a great question. I forgot he even did that. It was him. It was Jamie Newman. Was it? Yes. Holy shit. Oh, him, Jamie world. Newman, Tate Martell. And yeah, Tate Martell. Best. Been... That's the other was one. Was there a fourth guy or was it just the three? Justin Fields did it the year after. Yeah. So um, if you guys haven't watched QB1, it's a series on Netflix. For They did it for two years where they just followed around like three top high school quarterback recruits during their final like high school season. Um yeah. And if you ever, you know, just feel like you want to be more thankful that Jake Fromm came to Georgia, watch that. Because, and I'm not saying anything bad about Jamie Newman, because I didn't think he was that bad in the show. Um, But good Lord, Tate Martell. Ethan. (laughs) Yeah, that was... If you ever, if you ever want to get, like, a look at what it might have been like to grow up as Johnny Manziel. Watch the Tate Martell parts of that show, and then think it was worse. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Tate Martell. That's a name I forgot. I totally forgot about him until just now. You know, he's probably still in college somewhere. Yeah, and not going to graduate either. Getting his PhD in douchery, maybe. <laughs> at Ohio State. The Ohio State. Oh, he was at Ohio State at one point. Yeah. No, he started Ohio State, then went to Miami, then went somewhere else, and then I think he transferred one more time. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Throwing it way back with the Tate Martell references. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What I think is funny about the Little League World Series nugget is they actually mentioned it twice before Georgia's first offensive snap. (laughs) They do the kickoff, and then they're like, here comes Jake Fromm leading the Georgia offense. He played in the Little League World Series. And then they took the snap. It was, it was ridiculous. Um, but one thing that I believe we said in the, uh, in the conversation with Sandy, and then we're going to say it again here, Jake Fromm was definitely a freshman in this game. He mm-hmm. made – a ton of young guy errors early in this game. And it's just kind of wild to think about what he did at the end of the season compared to the very beginning of the season. Yeah. He grew so much. Yeah. Like you, if you go back and watch all of those games, you can see leaps of progression week to week, which 
for football nerds like myself, it's it's really cool to be able to see that and just be able to see mm-hmm. how much a guy understands the game to be able to do that. Um, yeah, he had a he had a a, a a a fumbled exchange with Nick Chubb early in the game, and then he had a he had an interception right before the half as well. So I mean, he he cleaned it up you know later, but it was yeah, he he's definitely a freshman at that point. All right, guys, we had to take a little bit of a break because the Braves and Dodgers almost had a dugout clearing fight on the field. Um, But we're getting right back into it. Um, So one thing that I thought was really cool was seeing Stetson on the bench during this game. Um, He was in multiple camera angles throughout the game all the time with Jake Fromm talking about it, obviously. Um, but even though Bryce Ramsey was still on the team, I'm almost wondering if Stetson was going to be Jake's backup because they typically don't travel with three quarterbacks. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. And it, one thing that caught me off guard when I saw that, like, and I, I totally forgot about Bryce Ramsey when I was looking at him, like, is fucking Brock Vandergriff, like, <laughs> did he sneak on the field at that point? Like, they look like the same he, fucking person. Did he Benjamin button himself? Cause this yeah. dude looks 30. <laughs> right. It, it was a, a I had a double take that. I'm like, holy shit. Like, what, what am I watching the right game? Yeah. Stetson being number 22, too. That, that you know, that th- throws everybody off. Yeah. Although, shout out Bryce Ramsey for that uh, performance mm-hmm. against South Carolina in 2015. Still yep. one of my all-time favorite games just because mm-hmm. it's in the record books for a guy that was the punter the next season. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Wait, was that no? That was that was a Grayson Lambert game, wasn't it? Or was it Grayson Lambert? Yeah, it was Grayson. Yeah, there's so many quarterbacks in that time frame that I'm I'm they're blurring together. They're they're all very average outside of that South Carolina game. But even then, like I want to say he only had like he didn't have 300 yards passing that game, but he had like he was like what 21 of 23 or some shit like that or 24 or 25. Yeah, there we go. Like and probably had like 220 yards. Yeah, still, still the highest completion percentage game in college football history where a passer throws 25 25 or more passes. And it was against South Carolina in Steve Spurrier's last season. Grayson Lambert killed him. He finished him off. Who would have thought? Oh, we need a Mortal Kombat of a finishing move, but put Steve Spurrier's face on the character (laughs) that's getting. All right, Photoshop Warriors, we need to make this happen. Have him get have it have it happen to him like at the Zaxby's at like media days. <laughs> yeah. There so we go. the last thing we're gonna say about Jake Fromm for now at least is that even as a true freshman, the dude had heart and would take a hit. Because even in this game and throughout his career, he ran way more than he should have for his speed. Mm-hmm. And he would get lit up. And just jump right back up. I mean, there's a couple mm-hmm. times you may have seen him limp a little bit, but by the time he got back on the field, he's ready to go. And yeah. that, I mean, that's saying something for a guy that's what 5'11, 205, something like that. You know, he's not mm-hmm. a big guy to take these hits from these defenders and gets up and keeps going right after it. And I I appreciate that. I hope you guys appreciate Jake Fromm as much as I do. I wasn't say like he he loved to like, I know they tried to run a lot of, or show a lot of RPO stuff, but 
in and those design runs, it felt like he didn't do it a whole lot. He did it, I guess, that freshman year a lot more, but like as the years went on, he kind of it felt like he held back on that. It's like, oh, he's you know, showing RPO, but he's not gonna run here. He'll scramble and all that, but like design RPO, like I like I don't remember him doing a ton of uh, you know, the actual run part of that <laughs> option. Yeah. No, it's that's one thing that drove me nuts because every time they would do it, the field, the side of the field that he would be supposed to be going to would be wide open yeah. for 20 mm-hmm. yards. It's yep. almost like the coaches said, we're going to, we're going to show this, but don't you dare fucking run. Don't just don't do it. Yeah. Don't, don't do it. But you know, wait, wait for like the perfect opportunity. They'll never see it coming if they study the film. Yeah. And it never happened. Never happened. He's That's... like, he never crossed his mind. Um, we are going to touch on Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle a little bit. I will say not near as much as I thought we would have because this wasn't really a standout game for for either guy. This this Notre Dame defensive front was a lot better than I actually remember it being in uh, retrospect. But I miss Nick Chubb. I like mm. his first carry was for thirty yards. And it doesn't matter who you are. You can be the best running back to ever come out of high school. You're not going to be Nick Chubb. And that's not to disparage any of the guys that are currently on the team. That's not to say anything about any of the guys that have been on the team at any point. But if you're asking me to choose a single Georgia running back, period, it's going to be Nick Chubb. Oh, for sure. He's 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 my goat as far as I like at least of, you know, being a Georgia fan and like players that have been, you know, active when I've been alive watching them, he's definitely up there. He's number one. I would argue that give, considering how different the game is now between how it used to be and how quick defensive players are and how much bigger they are than especially like Nick Chubb and you've got a lot of guys faster than him, I would say – you could make a very good argument that he may not have the records or the Heisman, but he was an all-around better running back than Herschel Walker. And you know what? And he, and they both played three years basically. And one of those right. years, he was coming off of an ACL tear, and like he wasn't one hundred percent. So you no. can definitely argue that. I would, I would go with that. And. After the phenomenal touchdown by Terry Godwin that we are going to get to in just a second here, at least on the broadcast we watched, I don't remember if it was on the national broadcast, but they played Sony Michelle's song UGA Anthem while going to commercials. And mm. I'm I'm sure you guys know if you've listened to us for even like a month, you know how much I love that song. So yeah. I love that, especially because in the song, he mentions Samford, which was the game after this Notre Dame game. Ooh, okay. So just a little, just a little interesting tidbit there. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna move on to Terry Godwin here. Um, and, you know, we've we've said this a lot about players as we've gone back and looked at some of these games. And now, I mean, now we've looked at games through three different decades. Um, but Terry God will, ne- will never be appreciated enough for what he did for this team in 2017 and throughout his career in general. He was 
trying to think back. If you go post Tavares King, Terry Godwin was the best wide receiver, best and most consistent wide receiver that Georgia had between Tavares King and I mean, who would you who would you say after that? I mean, one of these guys over the last couple of seasons. Probably. I mean, Malcolm Mitchell was up there as well, but he was always hurt. He was hurt um, a lot. I sort of say most consistent. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's hard to it's it's hard to argue that because like and I, like if you're looking at like stat lines, I mean, he didn't necessarily always kill it. Like 2017, he you know great, but I think 2015 was even better for him. I mean, he I mean yeah. that would, felt like a lost season. I I had went to that Kentucky game that he I think he was like a wildcat quarterback for a few plays. Like he's the reason why they won that game against Kentucky. Yeah, um, absolutely. After. Uh, yeah, but no, I, yeah, all that. I, I would say that Terry Godwin's the best receiver in between Tavares King or most consistent receiver between Tavares King and Lad McConkey. Yeah, I think that's fair. Oh, yeah. And I say most consistent because those are the guys that like, oh shit, play's breaking down. Who am I looking for? And is going to make the play. Yep. I mean, safety blanket. I, yeah. It, ultimate safety blankets can make the play. That was Terry Godwin. And there was a 10 year stretch in all reality that he was absolutely the best guy. Do you know do you know what team he's on now? He's still playing professionally. Last I saw, I want to say he was on the Jags. He Let me look. He he the last team he was with the Titans last year, but he, he is not in the NFL currently, or at least he's not on an NFL roster. He's with Oh shit. The Hamilton Tiger Cats. Oh, we're watching the CFL this year. I'm the biggest Hamilton Tiger Cats fan you've ever seen. Probably because you've never seen one before. No, I <laughs> I don't even know where the fuck Ham- Hamilton has got to be in Ontario, I assume. And I should know that. Yeah, you're a social studies teacher. And I basically lived up there, too. <laughs> I think Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton's Hamilton's in Ontario. No one fact check me there. So <laughs> that catch by Terry Godwin. Mm hmm. I would say is still one of the most impressive catches that I have seen live. That might level I, think I think it's better than even like that uh that AJ Green catch against uh, Colorado. Oh, I agree 100%. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, he tapped it to himself, then caught it with one hand, brought it in and managed to get a foot down all while jumping backwards. And maintaining control. Like, that was the thing that they had thought at first was that he didn't maintain control like as he was going to the ground, and he he did. You can argue yeah. it. It was uh, indisputable. So, incredible. I mean, I w- that's one of the few – not one of the few, but that's one of the pictures I want to get, like, framed and, like, hung up in the man cave is that. And I still have not done it, but that's on my to-do list. Yeah, I, I would say as far as, like, Georgia catches, that's number one or number two. I would say as far as catch alone goes, yeah, you mm-hmm. could say A.D. Mitchell in the 2021 National Championship game, 
And then Brock last year against Florida, where he like triple quadruple tapped it to himself. Mm-hmm. Well, even like the Brock, uh, the the fourth down conversion, and like the catch itself wasn't impressive, but the the fact right. that in a, a Peach Bowl like that, just maintaining balance and that core strength and all that, that that's up there too. But like oh, catch itself, I yeah, would catch say, itself. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you had something in here that you wanted to say about this next part. Um, Fromm was so good at that back shoulder throw. I felt like that, especially with James Coley, that was the only thing that he was allowed to do was that throw. That's or at least yeah. that's the only thing he seemed like he felt comfortable throwing under uh under Coley. But even even as a freshman, like he was elite at that back shoulder throw. And you can see his progression just in this game because he tried to hit Sony Michelle early in the game mm-hmm. with a back shoulder throw and didn't drop it in correctly. And then this pass, if this patch, if this pass was an inch in any direction, the play doesn't get made. Yep. Perfect. What I do remember about this play in particular, the review felt like it was one of the longest I had ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like I, I remember say- more about watching this review than <laughs> most of the game. And I was, you know, I was conditioned to think like, you know, even though I thought it was a catch, you know, at real time, just, you know, being optimistic, I was like, yeah, they're going to end up calling this back. It's, it's Georgia. It's a big, it's a big game. It's not going to happen for us, but it, right. it, it, it went our way. Well, and the call got overturned to a touchdown. Yeah. Cause it wasn't complete at first. Yeah. That was the most impressive thing to me is that like, it's obvious to everyone in the country, but are they going to do the right thing? Yeah. And actually overturn it. And they ended up doing it, which was mind-blowing, especially at the time, because mm-hmm. that just didn't that didn't happen. Yeah, the courage that it took to overturn overturn that in that big of a you know, setting was huge. So we do want to get to we do have a couple notes on some other offensive playmakers. And Mike, you put a lot of these in here, so I'll let you take it for a minute. All right, so uh, DeAndre Swift, uh, you know, his this only being his second uh, collegiate game, had a huge 40, I think it was exactly a 40-yard run on a jet sweep. And initially, like when I was watching it, I'm like, oh, it was like a preview of like what he did in the uh, the seal of the SEC championship game against Auburn, like that, you know, that counter that he had and just like changing directions so quickly. But um, he ended up only having two carries for 42 yards. But that 40-yard run was huge before like he really had, like that was, kind of the first kind of glimpse that you had in like his potential. Um, but huge. I mean, the way he changed direction or his angle so quickly was like, oh, okay, who's this guy? Like you heard of him, yeah. but that was his introduction. Yeah, no, 100%. That was one of those plays where you're like, <clears throat> the running back room's in good hands because this mm-hmm. was going to be the last season for Nick and Sony. So it was like, but before this, you'd heard names and now you're like, I'm not near as worried as I was. No. And that's what I was saying on the next thing. It's like that run, the running back room they had, ridiculous. I mean, you had, of course, okay, seniors, Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, freshman DeAndre Swift, uh, Elijah Holyfield, and Brian Harry. And I mean, you were five deep, comfortable with those guys. Five deep in guys that would start at most programs around the country. Mm-hmm. I was so excited about Elijah Holyfield coming into that year, even more so than DeAndre Swift, just because I mean, the name alone. And they ended up, you know, all being great. 
Yeah, no, I, I was personally a huge fan of Brian Harrion. Uh, we went to high school in the same towns. He was a, he was a freshman okay. when I was a senior. So I like I saw him play in high school just because our high schools played each other. Mm-hmm. But also hearing the story of he didn't think that he was going to get a college offer until the summer before his senior year started. A Georgia like someone from the program went to. Douglas County to scout another player and said, if you get your grades up, you're going to play in college somewhere. Mm-hmm. And he ended up graduating, getting good enough grades to get into Georgia. And and his first play ever as a Georgia Bulldog was a touchdown the season before mm-hmm. in against that UNC team. So I, yeah. I would say he, he took a lot of my favor later after Nick and Sony left. But yeah, no, I mean, that room was just, insane mm-hmm. still good now but as far as like name wise and, and just like workhorses like that arguably one of the best running back rooms ever and the last running back duo in georgia history to get two thousand yards elijah holyfield and brian harrion yeah never forget like that that would not be my first guess with that yeah they were the last ones in uh was it 2019 Yeah, it's 2019. Yeah. Yeah, it had to be, right? Yeah. 2019, yeah. they were the last Georgia duo to both get a thousand yards in a season. Or no, was no, was that Holyfield and Swift? Because Swift played in 2019. Because then he put right? 2017, 18, 19, he left for the draft. Then it may have been 18. Maybe. Holyfield and Harrion were the last duo to get both get a thousand. Was that 2020? I didn't know that. No, it had to be 18. Hmm. There's no way they, they got 1,000 yards in 10 games. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. No, but tw- 2018 had to be Holyfield and Swift. Yeah, maybe it was 2019, yeah. Okay. Either way. Either way. Um, I do want to shout out Javon Wims for a minute because he was <laughs> ridiculous in this 2017 season. Mm-hmm. The plays he made throughout the year – were 30% of why Georgia was able to do what they did in that season. Um, do want to have a couple notes, Javon, if you're listening, big fan would love to get you on the show. Yep. But if you're going to punch somebody, you know, pro tip here, don't do it with their helmet on because it's going to hurt your hand. Um, but I will say Chauncey Gardner-Johnson – Deserve to get hit, especially after he was talking shit about your boy Jake Fromm before that 2017 game. So, or was it 18? Anyways, one of the games. I think it was 2018 because he was all, all he could throw was slants, right? Right. And then, you know, DeAndre Swift took both of his ankles as souvenirs when he left that game. But anyways, <laughs> you know, just, just pro tip. Next time, you could even take his helmet off for him. It's possible. Yeah. We see it. People don't put their helmets on tight anymore. That's why I see them fly off all the time. <laughs> but don't break your hand because you use those for money. Just, you know, side note there. And then for that exact same reason is why so many people respect Miles Garrett now. He went after Mason Helmet when he didn't have his helmet on. You're not going to break your hand on on a pudgy face, you know? Yeah. He tried to give uh, Mason Rudolph his helmet back 
as well. So nice guy. Yes. It was put it back a high on. speed gift. Yeah. <laughs> Tried to put it back on his head. He was so, so thoughtful. And apologize if y'all can hear one of the dogs barking outside of this window. Nemo has decided to be an asshole. You found Nemo. <laughs> I found him. Nemo yeah. Nemo definitely got his dad. But <laughs> I'm not worried about him. I'm just mad at him half the time. I can't I can't hear it for what it's worth. Okay. That's good news. Yeah. Um so fullback Christian Payne was not appreciated by the fans near enough because this was at a time when most of the offensive line were either the tackles who were phenomenal. I mean, you had Andrew Thomas and Isaiah Wynn as your tackles at the time, both in the NFL currently, but your interior was young. They were extremely young. So you had a guy like Christian Payne who was a human bulldozer going in, creating those gaps I understand that fullbacks aren't currently used, but I was I was actually really worried when Christian Payne graduated because I was concerned that they would not have a guy on the roster that had that ability. Granted, the offensive line has gotten better every year, so it's not that much of a concern anymore, but you still see it on short yardage situations where they put a fullback in the game, and Christian Payne was phenomenal at that in his time on the team. Now they just put, you know, 350 pound guys like Jalen Carter and uh and Jordan Davis out there as fullback when they really need to. Jordan Davis is an elite running back. Don't you forget it. Yeah. Two carries, one touchdown. I mean, 50% of his carries are touchdowns. It's amazing. 50% of his carries are touchdowns. <laughs> um I do want to shout out Solomon Kinley in this game. Played extremely well. Um, he was the right guard if if you don't know exactly where he played on the team. But there's one specific play. It was a run for a first down where as the play is finishing, you just see Solomon Kinley body a dude into the ground, past yeah. the first down line. And then he gets up and starts celebrating. Like he don't he don't know if it was a first down. He has no idea. All he knows <laughs> is he took another grown ass 300 pound man seven plus yards downfield and threw him down. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's some blindside shit. Yeah. I don't, he, he can have a fucking tea party after that shit. Celebrate yeah, that. No. Solomon McKinley may have down games throughout his career, but he was a great player. And especially in this mm-hmm. game, you could see it down the stretch when they needed big play. They ran to that right side behind him and Andrew Thomas. And I mean, without him making some of these plays, they probably don't win this game. And the 2017 no. season probably doesn't happen the same way because obviously, I mean, they ended up losing to Auburn. So it's yeah, you never sure. know. Baker mm-hmm. Mayfield might have, or Lincoln Riley may have won a playoff game by this time. Yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the last offensive note we've got is with about three minutes and 40 seconds left in the game, Isaac Nauta was held so much that it looked like his jersey ripped on a potential touchdown that I'm pretty sure the International Space Station saw this hold and it was not called. Mm -hmm. But and that could have been a game changing play, but thankfully. You know, hot rod pulled through, ended up putting one through the uprights for that 
pull away score, but that was. Awful. I mean, watching it back, I was upset about that call. Mm-hmm. If even if you're wa- just watching the highlights and like you assume, okay, they called that and then they kicked the field goal afterward. No, no, they did not call yeah. that. They didn't. No. <laughs> one one thing I'll say before we go on to the the Notre Dame players here. Um, I don't want to tattoo shame because I have had some pretty shitty tattoos, but Isaac Nauta and his tramp stamp tattoo that he has on his arm. That's I don't think has ever been filled in still makes me laugh. Like me and my brother have a good time, good time laughing about his, uh, yeah, his tramp stamp cross tribal shit on his arm. Was, and you know, once again, not to any shame. I mean, I have a giant, rooster smoking a pipe on my leg so I can ask people you want to see the smoking cock in my shorts <laughs> way better than uh an arm stamp or uh, uh, uh bicep tramp stamp but it looks like he got a skin graft from a stripper from 93 <laughs> and you know I Isaac, we love you. You deserve better on the team, if we're being entirely honest. I hate that you mm-hmm. ended up playing for the Lions for a little bit, but we can get over that. Yeah. But, I mean, I got a guy in Savannah I can hook you up with. He'll he'll set you up right. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's do something about that. I'm sure you got the money. Yeah. Yeah, even – hell, even if he's just practice squad at this point, he's, he's making more than both of us combined. <laughs> Yeah, come on, come on down, man. Love to have a beer with you. I got a king size bed sitting right here next to me. You, you, you can stay at my house. Save all the money for that cover up. <laughs> um, so we do want to talk about a few Notre Dame players here. I mean, they they did have a ton of guys on uh on the team that were big parts of of what they were able to do that season. And first guy I want to talk about is Drew Tranquil. Spells his name the weird way, in case you were wondering. But he was twice the inside linebacker that Manti Teo was. Mm -hmm. And if he had a sad story, like if he had an ESPN draft day special, he would have been in New York for the Heisman ceremony. Yeah, yeah. Dude, he was, as far as back-end players from Notre Dame that year, you want to talk about Jordan Love? No. Drew Tranquil was playing inside linebacker, outside linebacker, defensive line, and safety in that game. It was half of the reason it was close. Mm-hmm. I just blows my mind. Blows my mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I think is kind of funny, the guy that recovered the from the fumble from Jake Fromm where he was trying to hand the ball off, transferred to Georgia the next year as a grad transfer. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, yeah. Jay Hayes played for Georgia that next season as a grad transfer after playing this game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we like to talk about tampering with other coaches. Is it possible that Kirby was just like, hey, big dog, you got a spot in Athens if you want it? Mm-hmm. Well, it's possible. I, I, I can't hate it. Everyone else Crazier is Crazier things it. have happened, like Jermaine Burton deciding to leave a national championship team for the team he just beat after he had a conversation with Nick Saban on the field. You know, crazier things have happened. Yeah, but again, I'm sure nothing shady with that. It's an everyday thing, just talking to guys on opposing team. Yeah. Yeah, man. 
it's as that's so not shady. It's as bright as the inside of a cave. <laughs> so we said we were going to talk about it a minute ago. The quarterbacks from the 2016 season for Notre Dame. Um, you've got Malik Zaire, name a lot of George fans probably recognize. Deshaun mm-hmm. Kaiser, who sure everybody that's paid attention to football since 2017 recognizes because he played for the Browns and the Packers. And then you had Brandon Wimbush. So three guys with big names, all dual threat quarterbacks in their own right. Deshaun Kaiser went, was drafted early in the first round to the Cleveland Browns. Malik Zaire actually left Notre Dame after that 2016 season grad transfer to Florida, where he only started two games that the team lost both of. He did appear in four with a stat line at Florida of zero touchdowns and one interception. And I say that not to disparage Malik Zaire, but to shit on Florida, specifically. Um, He kind of got fucked going to that 2017 Florida team, we're being entirely honest here. Yeah. But I just, you know, anytime I have an opportunity to shit on Florida, I shit on Florida. So. Yeah, can't hate that. Not at all. So... You actually put this next line in here to do the research, so I'll let you go over it. Yeah. So uh, some positive things about Notre Dame guys. Uh, Quentin Nelson, If again, if you're an you know, uh, NFL fan, even as an interior offensive lineman, like he's one of the best in the league. Um, so that year he was a unanimous All-American, and I think this is number six overall pick, but top ten for sure um, as a uh, as a guard, which does not happen very often. Um that's usually, you know, late first round, you know, day two type thing. Uh, in his first four years in the NFL, he's been a pro bowler every year, and he's been in a first team all pro for three of those seasons. Insane. So, yeah, yeah, fucking baller. Again, as an inside, uh, as an um, interior uh, offensive lineman, that's impressive. And one other thing, um, a, so- a sore spot for us, kind of, sort of, in a way, the uh, Notre Dame won the Joe Moore Award in 2017. You know, it's it always seems to be a team that Georgia obliterates their offensive line wins that award. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, looking Maybe at Tennessee you, will win it this year. I hope. I was about to say, looking at you guys, Tennessee, South Carolina, Ole Miss. You know, if you guys get run through by Georgia's defensive front, you might win the Joe Moore Award. Positivity. Yeah, share that trophy amongst yourselves. That's that's fun. Positivity, guys. Mm-hmm. So, halftime thoughts. And this is kind of a big picture thing, you know, looking looking back on it. Kirby said after the half that Jordan was a second-half team, which is really interesting to think about because it almost feels like that's a thought from the Rick era was still there, but because the mm-hmm. team now comes out the gate hot, finishes the game hot, But, I mean, you think about, to a lot of those games in the 2017 season, you know, specifically Auburn in the SEC Championship, the Rose Bowl. Mm -hmm. A lot of those those games, they came back in the second half to put it away. I mean, the SEC Championship was 
not necessarily put away at the first half, but in the second half they did it. So it's just, mm-hmm. to me, really interesting thing about how far the team has come in the past six years. Oh, for sure. That especially that SEC championship, like I, you know, going back to like how they played in that first game against Auburn, like I was not feeling good going into into uh, that second half, but they 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 have proved it over and over again. Um, again, not to you know pour salt in the moon outside of the you know national championship, they were a second half team that year. Right. It's almost like they should have waited waited to pour it on until the second half of that game, but. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is what it is, ain't it? I'd rather have back to back than two in five years, you know. You never know. We could have got complacent and only won one. I mean, I, two is better than one. I'm not a math guy, but two is better than no one. No mathologist here, but two more than one. No. Nope. Um so I will say that this game would not have been close at the end if Hot Rod hadn't have missed a kick early in the third quarter, mm-hmm. which, you know, that was one of, like I said, maybe the four kicks he missed that year. But once you got to the end of the game, it almost looked like that was potentially devastating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So going into the second half of this game, if you can remember, what were you thinking? So we were down by a touchdown at that point, right? I can I think pull it up. I don't quite. They were down. I don't remember what they were down by. I think I, I want to say it was a touchdown. I could be. I could be wrong there. But we were down it. Oh yeah, we. It was. It was. Uh, it was thirteen ten. So now we, it was three. Um. Again, now cautiously optimistic. Again, we. You know, we had kept it close. Uh. Again. We hadn't necessarily shown the second half, you know, prowess yet um, to that point. Um, obviously, they did it the rest of the year, but cautiously optimistic. They kept it close. That's all I kind of expected, or the most I could expect that first uh, that first half, considering you know how they played the previous year. But again, kind of, kind of the same feeling. I'm like, okay, we get, we're in this. It could still happen, but you know, not not overly confident, but slightly confident. And cautiously optimistic would be the way I'd say that. From what I remember, I was concerned that this was going to be another big game blow up. Mm-hmm. It, because, you know, as a Georgia fan, we all know that it happened so many times of where your team looks good. They come in, they do okay. And then you're like, are they going to make the right adjustments? Are they going to do anything different? Or are they just going to say, our defense can stop them more times than their defense can stop us. We're going to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I see, you know, I have just recently gotten over my Mark Richt anxiety syndrome. So I will say a hundred percent that I was terrified at the time. Yeah. I mean, afraid to shit the bed on a national stage yet again was definitely, um, definitely a thought that had crossed my mind quite a bit, but again, yes. still hopeful, but you know, expecting the worst. So I do want to talk about Roquan Smith for a minute, and this is probably going to be a a few minutes here. Because Roquan Smith may be the best inside linebacker to ever play at the University of Georgia. And there have been a lot of greats. Like Georgia is, I wouldn't even argue at this point, Georgia's linebacker university. Mm-hmm. But Roquan Smith 
if you think about the guys he was playing next to in 2017, Natres Patrick, old school linebacker. I'm talking like your Brian Erlacher kind of guy. Yeah. Reggie Carter, once again, like your throwback, big, strong, not real fast, can't go sideline to sideline. So almost every play made by an inside linebacker in 2017 was Roquan Smith. Mm -hmm. What he was able to do that season was absolutely insane. Every In this game, and almost every game in 2017, he made every play he was able to, and the ones he didn't make, you could see him as the tackle was being made running into the frame to hit the guy. Every single play he was on the field. Mm-hmm. I just that that 2017 year, you know how many total tackles he had? I'd say above I'd say above 120. Yeah, yeah, it was one uh 137 with uh 14 tackles for loss and six and a half sacks as an inside linebacker. Huge. That's almost rounded up to 140. That's almost 10 tackles a game. For the 15 games they played that season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 85 solo tackles at that. Impressive. I mean, if you just go back and watch 2017 Georgia highlights, uh, at least a third of them, a third of them are Roquan Smith. Mm-hmm. Especially in that Rose Bowl. And yeah, yes. this as well. Mississippi State specifically. Mm-hmm. I remember that Georgia, like the official Georgia football account, put out a video that was just Roquan Smith highlights. Mm-hmm. I just... So, in this game, he finished with five tackles, two assists, one sack. Not all that spectacular, but in the grand scheme of the 2017 season, he finished 10th in Heisman voting in 2017, which mm-hmm. at 2017, defensive players didn't even make the top 10. Pretty much. Like, yeah, since then, it's happened. Tie. Yeah, Manti Teal. And, and then Sue. it was from, yeah, I was about to say, the last two guys that made it was Sue, Teal, and then Roquan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are the last, those, like, for, what, a decade, those are the only three guys that made top ten in the Heisman. Mm-hmm. Since then, it's happened more, but football's changed a lot since then. Yeah. But at the time, it was unheard of for someone as a defensive player, especially a linebacker, to get top 10 in Heisman voting. And just to run through the numbers here, he finished with three first-place votes, 11 second-place votes, and seven third-place votes, and was the only defensive player in the top 10 in 2017. Hmm. And if you ask my opinion, which no one has, but you're here, so you're going to get it anyways. If you take the Heisman for what it's intended to be, which is the best player in college football, regardless of the position, the one that does what they do the absolute best, Roquan Smith should have won the Heisman in 2017. He was absolutely the best player at their position doing what they did in that season. Mm -hmm. Point blank period. Yeah. Absolutely. Not going to get an argument from me. We have to disagree sometimes. Baker Maybe Mayfield I'll start making dumb twice. points. 
No. <laughs> I'll start making dumb arguments, and then you can disagree with me. Yeah, you can test me, see if I'm really, really paying attention. <laughs> so, kind of the rest of our notes about this game, before we get into a little bit of news, is about the defensive front seven. Um, so, Notre Dame had an offensive line three of five are current NFL starters, which is extremely impressive considering this is six years later. A lot of times NFL offensive linemen don't last that long. But their offensive line still got run through by Georgia's defensive front. And there were only two players in Georgia's front seven that are currently in the NFL from that 2017 team, which is just absolutely absurd thinking about the amount of starter differential. Okay. So Dominic Sanders, most of us know he's got the Georgia record for all-time interceptions. He passed his then coach during that 2017 season, Kirby Smart, for that record. But dude was not great in coverage. Mm. We saw it in this game specifically. There were multiple flags, multiple blown coverages. It's looking like thinking back I like to think that he was a lot better in coverage than he was just because of that history he has with the interceptions and how pretty much interceptions the only thing I remember of his play but when you watch these games from his career you're like man if you just had a little bit more ball skills just a little bit Mm-hmm. Like turn that six to a seven and you're an all-time great, probably still in the NFL. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that, that definitely crossed my mind a bit too, for sure. So with the defensive line, Tyler Clark and David Marshall could take over games with the flip of a switch. And if they were able to keep that switch on, once again, they are both still starters in the NFL because these guys were insane when they were able to get that switch flipped. This game, they were pressuring the quarterback almost every play with Davin Bellamy. But then another example, and probably a more predominant example, is the Rose Bowl. I mean, the second half, Baker Mayfield did not have a single pass play where he doesn't where he didn't see one of these two guys in his face. Mm-hmm. And the worst part to me is that both of these guys came back for at least one. I believe one of them came back for two seasons after this. And it was almost the Trenton Thompson thing of where you're like, man, it's it's this guy's year, it's his time. And it just it never fully realized in the way that we thought was possible. And, and Tyler, I don't think David Marshall ended up playing in the league, but Tyler Clark played for a few years. I think, I think his last team was the commanders last year, but I think it was just like a practice squad guy. Yeah. If, and I don't, I, you know, obviously I'm not, I'm not like a coach. I'm not like a scout. I don't know exactly what it is with that, but Man, if he was just able to keep that switch flipped on for longer when he flips it, it would be insane. Because mm-hmm. he has that burst of talent. Yeah, he should be dominating the XFL or USFL or something. I don't know if he ended up playing in one of the spring leagues this year. Yeah, let's 
Let's hook up Tyler Clark with Heinz Ward in San Antonio. Ooh. Because the defensive line is what they were missing last year. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So another thing that they talked about a lot in the broadcast is Georgia's secondary being questionable coming into this season, especially this game, which mm-hmm. another one of those things that you look back on, it's just wild to think about. Because now Georgia's secondary isn't really a question except for maybe a couple games throughout the season. It's like, oh, Georgia, top five pass defense in the country? Yeah. It's it's, expected now. Right. So I know we said it a lot, but just see how far the program has come in this, in these six years is, is pretty cool to look back on when you have the opportunity. And going with the secondary, one of the more underrated aspects of how this game ended up playing out, Dominic Sanders had multiple penalties and blown coverages through the first half, so they brought in true freshman Richard LeCount. And we all know now that LeCount was great in coverage. He was that heavy hitter as a safety that you wanted, Mm. could cover like a corner, but we we didn't know it at the time. Like He was a true freshman in that 2017 season and he showed up making multiple plays in this game and gave a glimpse of what his career was going to play out to be, even though he didn't play a ton throughout the rest of that season. It's just sometimes going back and watching this game and thinking that's, that is the guy. Like Mm -hmm. he is the reason that Georgia secondary eventually became what it currently is. Yeah, he was that. LeCount was like my the, the guy I was most excited about in that first like full cycle that Kirby had uh, recruiting. Uh, you know, five star guy, and I mean, he was he even like Richard himself was a great recruiter for that defense. Um, uh, so I was you know super excited to see him play and, and and make an impact. You know, later in his career, but it was cool to see him that early, for sure. So, Davin Bellamy. We all know the play he made at the end of this game. But if you go back and watch it, almost every single time Brandon Wimbush went back to pass, Davin Bellamy was hitting him or was in his face about to hit him. Every single play. Mm -hmm. Which I just, I love to see. Going back and looking at it, what that season ended up being. It's awesome to see what he was doing earlier in that year, especially because he was one of those four guys that chose to come back with Lorenzo, Sony, and Nick. It's just, it's awesome. And, and you know, speaking of those guys, Georgia loses this game without those four specifically. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lorenzo Carter and Davin Bellamy, in like, without. Both of those guys, Georgia probably loses this game, specifically a play where Wimbush had Equinemius St. Brown, current NFL wide receiver, by the way, wide open down the field. But that this was a play that both Lorenzo Carter and Davin Bellamy were in Brandon Wimbush's face, rushing the throw. He couldn't get turned around, but St. Brown was wide open, probably a touchdown, if those guys weren't there to make that play. Yeah, Bellamy ended up having a – he had uh, a sack, a, uh, a one-and-a-half tackles for loss, and I think uh, 
Uh, Lorenzo had a he had a sack as well, but like they yeah they both showed out like both like you know the intangibles and tangible things that you could you could look at in the uh, the box score. Yeah, no, I you know even though Davin Bellamy is in the XFL now and not the NFL, I'm still really glad that Lorenzo Carter is still in the NFL, even if he is with the Falcons, and will probably yeah never do much when he's on that team. Sorry, Falcons fans. I'm glad he's still there. He deserves he, to be there. And he's made him he's made himself like a decent career too. Cause like he was a later round pick. Like he wasn't like a first, second round guy coming out that year either. Like he he's and he did he, yeah. four years with the Giants, the Giants before yeah. he came home to the Falcons. Mm-hmm. And he and I mean getting that second contract's huge, especially being a late round guy. I think I want to say he went like fifth round, something like that. Like he was a day three guy. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so he's he's definitely definitely outperformed like uh, expectations. Uh, you know, you know, coming out of coming out of Georgia. And then you know we're obviously going to talk about this last offensive play for Notre Dame for a minute because Notre Dame had used all their timeouts in the second half. They dropped back to pass. And you can see that they do have open receivers on this play where Brandon Wimbush is literally bringing the ball back to throw it to an open guy when Davin Bellamy just destroys his world. And then Lorenzo Carter recovers the fumble behind his legs. Like he pins it to his body behind him and then rolls over onto it, which presence of mind. Right. Like you're talking football IQ. I know where we're at in the game. I feel the football. I am going to pin it to me to have firm possession and then worry about getting it secured 100%. Mm -hmm. I just, I mean, that, that play right there is obviously one of those that go down in like, how did Georgia become the current Georgia? But it's still awesome to watch in real time, especially when you watch the full game. You get the emotions of where it was at. Notre Dame had just gotten some big plays to get to the part of the field they were on. Mm-hmm. And then the guys that bought in and came back are the ones that won this game for Georgia, which at the time was huge. Oh, yeah. Kirby gives them so much, uh, you know, respect and like you know gives them a lot of props for coming back and, and building what we you know have now like me making it happen a lot sooner than it may have otherwise happened yeah and you'll still hear him refer to it when he talks about guys that chose to come back today mm-hmm. he'll refer to the first guys that chose to come back mm-hmm. like you can tell like if you go back and watch the press conference where those guys announce that they're coming back you can see it in his face, just how appreciative and how emotional it makes him that he got the four leaders on the team to buy in enough to come back. When at the time, Sony was probably a day two pick. Nick was probably a day two pick. Lorenzo was probably a day two pick after that 2016 season. Like everybody saw the potential that these guys had. They were all probably first half of the draft picks. And they Mm -hmm. said, we see what you're building and we want to be a part of it. Yeah, huge. And with that, I think we're going to be done talking about this game, the 2017 game at Notre Dame. 
I know it's running long, but we do have just a little bit of news to talk about. I think we're going to move some of this to next week, but we do want to hit some big key points here. Um, Both the men's and women's tennis team did not make it to the championship game. Men's team lost against Ohio State 4-3 in the Elite Eight. And the way it works is it's in like each court counts for a point and then doubles counts for a point. Georgia won the doubles. They won two out of the first three courts, almost getting to that fourth point. But Ohio State came back to win and move on to the final four there. They didn't come back to win in the one that really, truly matters for all of us. So it's okay. Um, the, the women's tennis team lost in the final four to the eventual champion, North Carolina Tar Heels, and they did lose four to nothing, but sometimes you just run into a team that you can't beat. And by you, I mean anyone. And that was Mm -hmm. the case for this North Carolina women's tennis team this year. If they lost a match throughout the season, I think they only lost one. And that is from beginning of the season to national championship. So sometimes it happens. Yeah, running that bus saw, yeah. It's a hell of a season, though, for both, both of them. For sure. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And especially with the new um, tennis re- tennis facility renovation, it's only a matter of time until some of these tournaments get moved back to Athens, which mm-hmm. held the national tennis tournament for decades. So that I know we talked about it before, but I'm I'm personally excited for that, and will once that's finished and some of these tournaments go back, go to at least one of them to show my support, um, because even the NCAA and SEC tournament tickets are not very expensive. But to try and finish things up here fairly quickly, we are going to move on to baseball. And the team did not get swept this weekend. Round of applause for the boys on the diamond. (laughs) And it's awful for that to be exciting. Mm -hmm. But there's a few reasons why it should be. They won. They took one game from the number five team in the country, LSU. Mm -hmm. That's huge. But... They scored nine runs in that win on Saturday, which once again is huge. Yeah. Charlie Condon, SEC freshman of the year, by the way, Charlie Condon, smashed another home run this weekend, bringing the new SEC freshman home run record to 25, giving him solo first with a little bit of a cushion. And... The SEC tournament, which Georgia winning that game on Saturday against LSU, got them a bid into because they weren't even going to make the SEC tournament without winning that game. Yeah, It's Tuesday at 11.30, so Charlie has at least one more game to keep pushing that record. But And it's against South Carolina, too, so you know, maybe they can make a run. Yes, so South Carolina... I know they swept the dogs early in the season. And if you hadn't paid attention since that series, personally, don't blame you. It's okay. I'm going to update you a little bit on how South Carolina has done. South Carolina has fallen apart worse than Georgia has down the stretch this season. The Gamecocks are 4-11 and in their last 15 games, losing to schools like North Florida and University of Charlotte. They also lost two out of three to the same Georgia team that 
to the same Arkansas team that Georgia swept, and they lost two out of three to the same Tennessee team that Georgia beat two out of three times. So, tune in. Tuesday, tomorrow morning, 1130. We'll put it on our social media just so everybody's aware because some of you may not listen to this by Tuesday at 1130. But it's possible. If the boys make a run, they can, they can still make the postseason, especially with how hot these bats are. They can still do this thing. But along with Charlie Condon's freshman of the year, Award Fernando Gonzalez got SEC Defensive Catcher of the Year for Georgia. And the thing is, he didn't even start every game at catcher, which is kind of, I would say, more uncommon in college than it is in Major League Baseball. He, I would say he started most, but not all the games, and to still get that award is is really impressive. Um, So moving on to softball, and this will probably be the last thing we talk about because we're going to talk about recruiting more next week. We just kind of ran out of time this week. Um, The Lady Diamond Dogs lost to South Carolina in the SEC tournament last week, but they came alive in the Athens Regional. The ladies won their way to facing the Florida State Seminoles, who are third seed in the country. And they ran through the Athens Regional, beating North Carolina Central 12 to nothing in five innings. Virginia Tech in back-to-back games, first one 8-3, to and then Sunday 12-3 to in six ooh, innings. Ooh. Oh, it was rough. I'm going to give you some stats on one particular player here in a second. But they play in a Super Regional against Florida State, a best-of-three series starting Thursday at 7 p.m., Friday at 8 p.m., and third game, if necessary, is on Saturday, and that time is to be determined. But the player I specifically want to highlight, and if any of you guys have daughters that – are going to play softball, may play softball, have any interest in sports whatsoever. So that show them Sydney Chambly highlights. And I say that because Sydney Chambly, seven for 10 through the regional, that's a batting average of 0.700. A good batting average is in the two to three hundreds range. She hit a total of four home runs batting in. 13 total runs this weekend. If you want to show, hell, even baseball players, if you want to show someone what an elite weekend of hitting and defense looks like, show them Sydney Chambly highlights because yeah. she murdered this weekend. Cold blood. Like the police are actually looking for her right now. Because she <laughs> those Athens police, can you trust them? She slaughtered the softball this weekend, mm-hmm. and you know I'm probably one of the few people listening to the show that watched all the games this weekend. But it was insane what she was doing. So we're gonna get into football recruiting that kind of stuff next week because I don't want to keep going on for too much longer tonight. Um, as always, Instagram, nothing.finder.pod, Facebook, YouTube, search us there. 
Twitter is at FinerPod. The shop will be up for a few more weeks. So if you want any of our T-shirts, koozies, stickers, hats, coffee cups, anything like that, go to nothingfinerpod.com. But as always, guys, remember there is nothing finer in the land. Than a drunk obnoxious Georgia fan. Third and a mile. Duggan from the two will throw it all the way across the field. It's picked up by Bullardy. Bullard got it again. And Bennett to throw. Lobs it to the right corner. There's McConkey. He got on his donkey and made a sliding catch in the right corner. Touchdown.